You're listening to Dakota Spotlight, a production of Forum Communications. My name is James Wallner. Welcome to my backyard in a toasty North Dakota this summer. This is an impromptu update or news bulletin about Season 2, Zealand, the untold story of Wade and Ellen Zick, their lives and their tragic deaths in 1976. The news is that David Feist, one of three men convicted in the murders of Wade and Ellen Zick, is now scheduled to be released after serving 45 years in federal prison. This release appears to be scheduled to take place as early as October 2021, latest February of 2022. I can also report at this point that it appears that David Feist will be paroled to a halfway house in Fargo, North Dakota. Feist was just 20 years old when he and his 18-year-old brother Sebastian and another man, Gregory Huber, also 18, kidnapped and then killed Wade and Ellen Zick in an extortion attempt at the McIntosh County Bank in the sleepy town of Zeeland in south-central North Dakota. Wade Zick was the bank manager in town. Less than $4,000 were taken in the robbery. David Feist is the third and last of the three to be released. His younger brother, Sebastian, was released from prison last year to Texas, and the third man, Gregory Huber, was released over 10 years ago and lives in North Dakota. If you've not listened to the full story, check out my Season 2. See the link in the show notes or go to inforum.com slash podcasts. Once again, David Feist will be released from federal prison after 45 years and paroled to Fargo as soon as October and as late as February 2022. I'll leave you with first some news audio from 1976, courtesy of the State Historical Society of North Dakota, followed by Chapter 1 of Season 2. It was in this low wooded area, about two miles northeast of Zealand, where a search party late last night found the bodies of 66-year-old Wade Zick, the manager of the Zealand branch of the McIntosh County Bank, and his 65-year-old wife, Ellen. The two bodies were found against that tree over there with all of the debris in the foreground laying on top of them. Authorities theorize the two were murdered in connection with an extortion attempt to get money from the McIntosh County Bank. Mr. Zick had been manager of the bank for 35 years. On Sunday morning, friends were concerned when Mr. Zick did not appear at the Zion Lutheran Church where he was the choir organist. The FBI theorizes the Zicks were awakened at home late Saturday night or early Sunday morning and forced to go to the bank. About $3,000 has been found missing from the bank. The FBI says the Zicks were then shotgunned to death in their pajamas. Three Zealand men are being sought. They are 22-year-old David Anthony Feist and his 18-year-old brother Sebastian, better known as Butch, and another 18-year-old whose picture appears with 1976 graduates of Zealand High School, Gregory Huber. The three were seen yesterday before APBs were put out by authorities in Casper, Wyoming. The other voice you're about to hear is McIntosh County Sheriff Milton Wiest. And tell me what this does to a community like Zealand in this McIntosh County area. Well, it's quite a loyalty community as such as this, uh, something that people read about and think it happens elsewhere, and uh, it's quite a blow to find out when it happens in their own backyard. The banker, an upstanding member of the community? Uh, Very well-liked man of the community, yes. People here in Zealand are shocked and appalled at the Zick murders. They call it a senseless act. And now a new element, the element of fear is here. 
The bank's assistant manager, Francis Stribel, says, we never lived with fear before, but now there will be some. Dennis Newman reporting from Zealand. Chapter One, A Deed Without a Name In mid-July, along the state border between North Dakota and South Dakota, the sun rises at around 6 a.m. When it does, darkness is replaced with spectacular views of golden and green, wide-open landscapes. The mostly flat horizon reveals church steeples and farmsteads, hay bales and the occasional fawn, buck, or doe. And there are towns, too, such as Zeeland, North Dakota, which sits just three miles from the South Dakota border. When it comes to the weather, a sunrise and its darker alter ego, the sunset, are about all a farmer can absolutely depend on here. Aside from those two givens, each morning in the Dakotas is just another day armed with potential barometric threats. Well over a century ago, European settlers here learned quickly that they must keep a close watch on the heavens and to always expect the unexpected. To this day, farmers constantly hold one eye on weather reports and the other on their crops, their grain bins, and the sky. During the summer months, it's always just a matter of time before sharp hail or rain or perhaps a tornado will roll into town. And the winters. The winters bring blinding blizzards and penetrating lethal winds. But really, at least back in 1976, it was only the weather gods that were considered to be unstable. Aside from that, life was predictable in Zealand. Not only predictable, it was for the most part non-threatening, friendly, quiet, and safe. On July 11, 1976, about two hours before the sun rose, most of the 300 inhabitants of Zealand lay asleep in their beds. For them, the last thing on their dreamy minds was that this Sunday would be different from any other. Not everyone slept, of course. The July heat kept some people awake in their beds. For those who gave up on sleep, there were few distractions to be found on TV. My mother-in-law said traveling was bad for you. She said it addles a brain. Your mother traveled a lot when she was young. One option was a movie called The Buster Keaton Story, which started at 3 a.m. on station KFYR. It's easy to imagine at least one or two of Zealand's insomniacs plopped down in front of the television with a glass of milk as a flicker of black and white dances around their living room. What's the matter? Mr. Keaton's in jail. So drunk he didn't know who he was. I'll send someone down to bail him out. One thing is for certain about that night. While the Buster Keaton story aired, at least six people were awake in Zealand. One person was Bernice Levi. Northeast of town, Bernice had spent much of the night tossing and turning in her downstairs bedroom. All of the windows were open in the farmhouse that night, an attempt to cool down the home before the July heat would return with the morning sun. Not far away, a 1968 four-door Chevrolet traveled slowly under moonlight and made its way along a section line between rows of crops. In that car were five people. Two of the passengers, a man named Wade Zick and his wife Ellen, were elderly in their mid-sixties, and the other three, one driver and two passengers, were young men aged 18, 18, and 21. The car came to a stop next to an oblong pit full of rusted car fenders, discarded washing machines, and other junk. A few trees drew defiantly amongst the dead debris. Perhaps Shakespeare would have described the place as a sunken cauldron, littered with the boiled-down remnants of an extinct civilization. 
the driver killed the engine, and the hum of the blue and white vehicle was replaced briefly with the pre-dawn silence of the North Dakota prairie. All five exited the car. Holding a shotgun, one of the young men led the elderly couple into the pit and then ordered them to sit down on the ground against a tree trunk. Wade and Ellen Zick, who were dressed only in their pajamas, did just as they were told. Then, the man with the shotgun turned and looked up towards his companions, who were standing next to the car. Beyond their silhouettes, he could see the twinkle of daylight attempting to interrupt this moment of darkness. It was that odd, almost nonsensical hour of the day, when it's no longer nighttime, and yet, somehow, it's not daytime either. A dim and disturbed moment, where one might imagine the three witches working, when Macbeth enters and asks, How now, what is it you do? And the three witches answer in unison, A deed without a name. Some call this hour of twilight a type of no-man's land, both day and night. Others might argue that it is neither of those things. Perhaps it's a moment of nothing. For those five people, however, it was not to be in any way a moment of nothing. For them, for all five of them, it was to be their moment of absolute everything. This everything took less than ten minutes. During this minuscule sliver of human history, decisions were made and actions were taken that, once committed, would change everything for scores and scores of people. The man with the shotgun called out to his two companions. He said, Hey, bring down the rope. Bernice Levi had just fallen asleep again when she was suddenly startled awake. She was 48 years old at the time. When I met her in May of 2019, she was 92. Well, there was just a hill across, uh, you know, where our farm was. Well, it was... uh so warm and we had all the windows open and uh, and I uh, I heard a scream and uh, all of a sudden there was a shot and I jumped out of bed and I went, I went upstairs to see if all the boys were at home and uh, they were all sound asleep and uh, then I went back down and went to bed I never thought anything of it Till later on, I thought, well, I heard that. Assuming she had just heard some kids playing with fireworks from the recent 4th of July celebrations, Bernice returned to bed. She hoped for a few more minutes of sleep before that predictable 6 a.m. sunrise. And sure enough, just like clockwork, like any other Sunday morning, the sun did rise that day. But unlike any morning before it, this sunrise would cast a different type of light across Zealand and the rest of North Dakota. This light was harsh and unflattering. And in fact, if you ask anyone who was there, they will tell you that ever since this dark source of light appeared, all of the shadows in Zealand, the shadows of the churches and homes, the shadows of the school, the water tower, the farmsteads, even the shadows of the people themselves, they have all changed Their contours draw figures that look just a little bit quiet and sad. Some of them are lonely shadows, but just like this story, they are also very real and very true. I want to take a short moment to tell you how I intend to tell you this story. More importantly, I want to tell you why. 
The story of Wade and Ellen Zick has been fermenting in my mind for about four years. I came across it accidentally, and I soon learned that most other people, even locally in North Dakota, have never even heard of it. Those who have heard of it only have bits and pieces of it. It's a tragic story of a senseless crime in a very small town. You've heard of a win-win situation. Well, this event was a lose-lose-lose and lose. But I wondered, is there any sense to be found in a senseless crime? Is there an answer to why it happened? Most importantly, I felt the victims deserve to be remembered. And along the way, I've met some truly wonderful people, and I've learned a lot about a little town named Zealand. I'm grateful to have taken this journey, and I want to share with you everything I learned. I'm bringing you this story in two parts over seven episodes. In part one, episodes one through four, I invite you to follow along as I share a play-by-play of the event itself and the days that followed. And along the way, we'll learn a little bit about Wade and Ellen Zick. In part two, episodes five, six, and seven, we will dive much deeper. You will hear from law enforcement, family members of the victims, and from at least one of the convicted men himself. All an attempt to understand this tragic event and pay tribute to Wade and Ellen. So I guess, if you're up for all that, let me be your guide and come along with me to rural North Dakota. Settle in for a story about life and death, love and loss, and as I discovered along the way, for some, it is also a story about finally finding an opportunity to say goodbye to someone they loved. If you've not listened to the full story, check out my season two. See the link in the show notes or go to inforum.com slash podcasts.